When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast, and now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right, you're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists, and for nearly the last 10 years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben Folks, uh, kind of a wild weekend, or a weekend chock full of MMA action, I guess you could say, with the UFC uh, doing its normal fight night on Saturday night. You had uh, Bellator pulling off an event, and you also had Eagle FC with its second stateside event down there from Florida, I believe. How did you handle all this, man? How did your uh, how did your MMA fighting schedule end up working out over the weekend? You know, not that great. Okay. I'll tell you that. Wow. Yeah. There were some, did you hit some snags? Let's just say I was playing a lot of catch-up. Wasn't able to follow along live with everything I necessarily wanted to. Had a sick child at home for pretty much most of the weekend. And, uh, you know, that took a lot of the attention focus away. But I was able to tune in to the UFC fight night just in time for Khalil Roundtree Jr. to break a man's face and then break all our damn hearts. Yeah, not often that happens. It's usually one or the other. Mm -hmm. But Khalil Roundtree is out here... uh... Hitting a double, the two bagger. <laughs> sure, two Let's birds with one like stone. That. That's that. That's one way to put it. Um, I also, though, speaking of broken hearts, you know, I was the one saying if we all end up sad after Diego Sanchez and Kevin Lee fight for the Eagle Weight Title over at Eagle FC, then we only have ourselves to blame. And it didn't happen that way. No. Yeah, Diego Sanchez came out there. I mean, I'm not going to say he was looking like the Diego Sanchez of old. I'm not going to say that he was looking great. Uh, But he he certainly exceeded my expectations in terms of how he was just going to look in, in, you know, blow by blow in the fight. I thought that, uh, you know, better than I expected, which was fine. Don't want to give away too much about it. We might be talking about it later in the show. But, uh, yeah, the sadness didn't get brought in by Diego Sanchez over the weekend. Just feels like one of those weekends where maybe we dodged a sadness bullet. Or did we just postpone it? Well, okay. That's another way to put it. Reminder, you're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast proper. Don't forget to go out and follow us on Instagram at CME if you nasty. And like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Co-Main Event. This show drops every Monday afternoon for free in your timelines or podcast libraries. And if you think we're having fun right now. You absolutely need to check out what's happening over at patreon.com slash co-main event. Ben Folks and I are party rocking over there with three additional podcasts every single week. Just $1 will get you in the door for the Wednesday live chat over there on the Patreon page. A $5 contribution will get you in the door for the live chat and Friday's Power Hour. And if you are a big swinger, one of the capital G girls or guys of the co-main event, one of the beloved patrons of the Co-Main Event Podcast, a $10 donation will get you in the door for all three podcasts, the Wednesday live chat, Thursday's doing the damn thing, and Friday's power hour. We do have fun. People seem to enjoy it. Check us out over there, patreon.com slash co-main event. Again, just $1, one yeah. damn dollar a month gets you there for the live chat. And from there, who knows what you might decide to do. It's like 25 cents a week. I mean, you lose that and the couch cushions, I'd say. And you know, the thing about the CME Patreon, Chad, it's entirely user-funded, which means you gotta give. That's right. You gotta give. You we got gotta me- give. A lot we of people g- give. We got music this week from old school CME fan Kyle Kelly Yoner, 
who also happens to be a pretty rad drummer. He's got a solo project out. It's an EP of instrumental tracks, mostly drums and synths. I think it's pretty cool. If you like what you hear from him on the show, you can check out the rest of the EP at his website, kyleky.com, or follow him at kylekydrums on Instagram. Ben got an email from Kyle Kelly Yonner this week. He's uh, he's coming to Montana this summer. He's going to be on tour with a band. And uh, late June, they're going to be trekking across a treasure state. So uh, maybe we'll get to meet them in the flesh. You never oh, know. Oh, nice. Where are they playing in Missoula? Uh, they're not playing here, but they're driving Bullshit. through what on the their hell? way between uh, Spokane and Minneapolis, I believe. So uh, well, they got they got a few free days here in the state of, of all, Montana. That's a that feels like a, a betrayal that I will never forgive. That they're going to pass through. They're not even going to not even going to stop play play a quick set down at the union hall something like that come on you can't you can't just just set up the drums just set up the drums downtown by the x's man just hammer it out of us of a summer evening maybe you can you can hook them up with your copious nightlife connections okay i'll do that we got three rounds as usual this week in the co-main event podcast in round number one saturday's ufc fight night event produced a lot of entertaining moments unfortunately the main event wasn't really one of them. And in round number two, elsewhere, an injured Kevin Lee eked one out over Diego Sanchez. And maybe getting in the Adam Borich business wasn't such a bad idea for Bellator. And in round number three, the UFC heads overseas for the first time in a minute. Are we really going to pull this thing off over there in London? All that, plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff? But first, like we always do about this time. Let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. This week's listener mail is once again brought to you by NordVPN. NordVPN is, as you guys know by now, the fastest damn VPN in the world. Ben, we've both been um, playing around with NordVPN the last several weeks. I still have no complaints. It's still kicking major ass over here on my end of things, keeping me safe while I'm out here uh, exploring the darkest corners of the internet and uh, all other times. You know, if I'm out, and about, and I'm on an unsecured Wi-Fi network, NordVPN, right there on my phone. I believe you can hook it up to six devices if you get the NordVPN deal. And it protects me from hackers and gives me peace of mind while I'm out and about. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash co-main or use the code co-main to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus one additional month for free. And a bonus gift, it's completely risk-free with NordVPN's 30-day money-back guarantee. Ben, I'm going to put you on the spot. What's your favorite part of having NordVPN over there on all your shit? Well, you touched on it. I like having it on my phone, and it just kicks in right away when I sign into a new Wi-Fi network. And, you know, I mean, whether I'm out at the the Jiffy Lube using their their suspect Wi-Fi whether I'm out there, one of these here sports bars, taking in a ball game, I like the peace of mind that comes with knowing that I have protection from the VPN that CNET called an encryption powerhouse with the biggest VPN bang for your buck. That's facts. Yeah. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from our guy Pissed Off Lawyer over on Twitter. You know, we've we've mentioned this before, but for a guy whose handle is at pissed off lawyer it's actually pretty nice yeah it seems like really uh, pretty reasonable and i i keep waiting for him to just blow his stack so it hasn't really happened no not yet uh he writes has there ever been a meteoric rise followed by such a rapid fall in ufc history that is even comparable to marlon marice so Marlon Marais, of course, goes out there this weekend, Ben, gets KO'd by Song Yadong in the first round, two minutes and six seconds. Uh, Marlon Marais, at 33 years old, is starting to show his age and then some, if you ask me. He has now lost four fights in a row in the UFC, just one in five in his last six fights. And, of course, that victory is the split decision over Jose Aldo at UFC 245, where uh, the UFC and a lot of other people just decided to count it as a win for Aldo. Uh, regardless of how the judges actually saw it. That is a stark 
stark contrast to his previous four UFC fights, which were all wins. Started off with a split decision loss to Rafael Asuncao and then went on a tear during 2017 to 2019. Several performance of the night bonuses also in there for Marlon Moraes. What do you make of this sudden, per, you know, uh, uh, just precipitous decline for the magic man? Yeah, I mean, like you said, that win streak included a, a knockout of current champ Aljamain Sterling. You know, he was fighting tough guys there at Bantamweight, because, especially because when he came over as the WSOF champ, he had a little bit of a head of steam. People were paying attention, and so he got thrown right into the mix against tough fighters in the UFC. And even his, that loss he had in the title fight to Henry Cejudo, I mean, he was looking good early on in that fight, and then... Triple C, Henry Cejudo, arguably one of the greatest combat sports athletes of all time, found a way to get back in that fight. Uh, but it, he's going up against the best in the world at that weight, and win or lose was really looking like he belonged there. And it just seems like, I don't know how much of it is age and how much of it is the mileage catching up on you a little bit, but it seems like suddenly he can't take a shot the way he used to. Uh, you know, he had that bad knockout loss to Corey Sandhagen, and then it's just been one after another, and it seems like it takes less and less to put him down these days. And that's the troubling thing, because we haven't seen too many people where that seems to bounce back yeah. once that starts happening to you, you know? And he's in this division where it's already tends to be a young man's division. And it already has so many good, talented fighters in it that you can't fall off even a little bit and stick around there the way you can at some of the higher weight classes. And I saw people making this point, I can't remember who it was on Twitter, just by posting like several different people who have gone down this similar road, especially at Bantamweight, whether it's like Cody Garbrandt, uh, you know, now you see it happening to Marlon Moraes, uh, you see it happen to a couple of the people there. And it's just like, man, you, you, you slip just a little bit and it's like a fall all the way to the deep, dark bottom of the division. Yeah. I can't, somebody, I saw somebody on online. I can't remember if it was on Twitter or over on the, uh, coming event podcast message board. Another thing you get access to, by the way, if you join the Patreon, uh, talking about how they foresee, they can already see Marlon Marais over in one championship getting knocked out by John Lineker, uh, which that's sad, but also, I don't know, man, sounds kind of right to me as for the future of Marlon Marais. You said it's a young man's game there at Bantamweight. I want to do this question from Shaka the Cerulean, who wrote, okay. us, uh, wrote us this week. He writes, are we going to let Song Yadong break Dominic Cruz next to? Because as a plot twist under his direction, Mr. Faber in his corner can basically point his new wind-up toy with fast hands on seek and destroy missions toward every UFC vet that stood in his way. Uh, I do want to talk about the possibility of Song Yudong versus Dominic Cruz, because, of course, Yudong got on the mic and called out Dominic Cruz after this win. But let's just talk about the 24-year-old Song Yudong for a minute here. I said you mentioned that it is a young man's game, and this guy seems to have it, you know, everything that he needs to be successful over there. Currently on now a three-fight win streak, and Marlon Marais, the biggest name opponent that he has defeated— Song Yudong was the betting favorite coming into this fight. He scoops up a performance of the night bonus here with this knockout of Marlon Moraes, as 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 well he should. I think well-deserved. Uh, this is one of those fights where after I saw it, I kind of felt like, okay, I think matchmakers might have kind of known what they were doing here. Given Song Yudong this co-main event spot against Marlon Moraes, it's, it's a... Uh, uh, you know, maybe you see the names on the poster and you think it's it's maybe an even matchup. Then you start looking a little further into the betting lines and everything else. You realize Song Yudong is, is the obvious favorite here. And then he does exactly what the Sharps expected him to do. This one plays out according to Chalk. He gets the KO and it comes off smelling like a big old uh, feature attraction showcase spot for the 24-year-old up and coming perhaps uh, future star. Did you see that one this way after it was all said and done that maybe we were trying to put Song Yudong into a uh, into a high profile spot where he'd get a nice win for himself here? I guess so. I mean, I guess they the matchmakers did seem to know what they were gunning for here and got it. I just thought it would be more competitive. I thought Marlon Moraes would be able to make it more competitive, but he he took that shot and and went down hard. And Song Yudong knew it too. 
He yeah. he knew he knew when he connected that that was a walk off homer. And there's something about though Uriah Faber. He's got this young guy, you know, tearing his way up the ranks, and then he could stand back there like a pro wrestling manager and point out his his various enemies who are still in the game and be like, "Get that guy next." What do you what do you make about that? Did you do you feel good seeing him kind of aim Song Yedong like a goddamn cruise missile right at his his former rivals who are still hanging around while Uriah Faber himself is pretty much out the game? Not totally. <laughs> I don't totally love it, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, maybe just because I kind of like Dominic Cruz. I think he's a nice guy. He's a smart guy. Uh, I've interviewed him a couple times, and he has always been uh, an easy person to work with. I enjoy his stuff on TV with the UFC. Uh, I don't relish the the thought of any you know, young up-and-coming guy knocking out one of my veteran favorites, men of a certain age, let's just say. Yeah. My, my peers, so to speak. <laughs> Uh, at least in terms of age. And this one, I don't know, feels kind of mean-spirited, right? Like, oh, here's this Dominic Cruz. We don't like him over a team alpha male. Now we got this new hotshot bantamweight contender. Let's, uh, as the as the emailer here says, wind him up and turn him loose on Dominic Cruz for no other reason than maybe just for fun. I don't know. Yeah. Do you think there's a sign-up in the locker room at team alpha male? Like, uh, just some quick reminders, no shoes on the mats, uh, put on some sandals. If you're going to get off the mats and you got to go into the bathroom, if you find yourself with a winning streak at bantamweight, call out Donovan Cruz. Yeah. Just, I mean, they got a picture yeah. of him up behind the desk. Like he's been passing bad checks, right? <laughs> Don't take any paper from this man. Also call him out if you get the chance. Yeah. Next question this week comes to us from our guy, Devin Scott. He writes, so Khalil Roundtree Jr. went out and not only won his bout against Carl Roberson, but he also demonstrated hashtag, I don't give a fuck about your internal organs. Uh, Khalil Roundtree Jr. fights like you owe him money and will hurt you, which is also evident by the oblique kick TKO from his last fight. Not sure what the question is here, but I'd like to hear your thoughts on this tough ass SOB. Side note, I'd like to use this bout as case number 4,829 why I'm not in the game of professional punchy face. Uh, This was pretty breathtaking here when Khalil Roundtree Jr. hurt Carl Robinson. Kind of just like he felt like turning it on, it seemed like. Got him down. I I like when uh, Khalil Roundtree calmly gets up and kicks guys in their ribs when they are down on all fours. That's just nasty. Uh, Here's the thing that I think about Khalil Roundtree. He is one of these dudes. He's been in the UFC since 2016. He's been a little up and down. He has struggled at times uh, maybe to, to, to find what feels like his perfect weight class. He, he struggled sometimes to uh, really show out against uh, name opponents. He just seems like he's been a little inconsistent. But he also seems like the kind of guy, uh, just 32 years old still, by the way, who if he was able to find a rhythm or you know, really put it all together that it kind of feels like the sky is the limit for him just in terms of the tools that he brings to the table. I know stylistically, he's obviously a much different fighter than somebody like Charles Oliveira, but he reminds me as like one of these guys who's been around in the UFC for a long time, like Oliveira was at one time where maybe we discount them because we're like, oh, we've seen this guy. We've seen the best yeah. he has to offer. But then, and obviously this can't happen for everybody, but these guys, they start to get more comfortable. They start to put it together. They start to get more uh, experience. And all of a sudden, boom, you got this brand new guy. Khalil Roundtree strikes me as a guy who could be that uh, just because obviously he brings this physicality and finishing ability and kind of like uh certainly not mean spiritedness but just like the the cutthroat nature of of being able to put someone out when you got him in trouble and if he can continue to do that consistently i think he's kind of like must see tv to be perfectly frank yeah i mean when i watched this finish here it brought to mind the old school shooter box and pride days yeah. like vanderlei silva and shogun who uh just going out there and not even thinking about what you might do to them. Instead, just thinking about how quickly they can stomp a hole in your body. And it was just violent. And it really, it takes a lot to shock people in this sport. People who regularly watch this kind of violence. And we just get used to so much. And when you see even hardened observers 
of MMA coming away from your your TKO finish like, damn, that guy really wanted to hurt that dude. That, that you really did something there. Yeah, it, it, it takes a lot. And yeah, I mean, I think you're right that we have to some extent done the thing where we say. Uh, We've seen enough of you now to tell ourselves that we know all we we've got the book on you, mm-hmm. and we've talked before about how that is often wrong, and that we have to allow for the possibility of growth and change and and development as the years go by, especially for somebody where I think this is like his fifteenth or sixteenth pro fight if you don't count the ultimate fighter stuff, so you know still some room to to grow and to change as a fighter there. I also wonder though he seems like he's in a tough spot to be. Like size wise in that division, to be like a six foot one inch light heavyweight, I think it'd sometimes be tough. Like, you know, if there were a cruiserweight division, if we had like a 195 or something like that that you could get down to, like maybe that would be where he'd fit in. Cause I feel like, you know, consistency, like you said, has been an issue, but also you get up against some of those bigger guys in the light heavyweight division. I wonder if he'll still be able to bring some of this to bear the same way. Yeah, that's an interesting point. It is certainly a new day at light heavyweight. It feels a little bit like everybody has renewed life there now that John Jones has at least allegedly moved on to a full-time career at heavyweight. Uh, And in fairness, I guess he's out there against Roberson, a guy who had fought at middleweight uh, mostly in his UFC career, though he had had a, a light heavyweight appearance or two. Roberson certainly didn't look small out there, but maybe there was a, a strength issue that, that you could feel in the cage as a guy coming up from a different weight class. But I don't know. I mean, you start to consider guys like uh, Tiago Santos, obviously, and uh, and Magomed Ankalaev, who we'll talk about coming up in round number one. You know, the champion Glover Tashira, uh, Yuri Prohaska is out there. It, it's not like the, the, the light heavyweight division of old where you had to measure yourself against this insurmountable mountain in John Jones. Like, I don't know. I would watch Khalil Roundtree fight any of those guys, to be perfectly honest. And I don't know if he would be physically outmatched against any of them. I guess uh, we would have to wait and see, but he's got to put a couple fights together is, is, is the bottom line for me against about Khalil Roundtree, just because he's been kind of, you know, win one, lose one, win two, lose two, something like that throughout his entire career. But uh, I, I like what he's doing here. And as you mentioned at the top, Guy gets on the mic and gives a heartfelt and emotional speech about being a 300-pound child teenager on the verge of suicide and how he wants to help all of the people that he can, you know, find their path in life so they feel like they have something to live for compared to what we get most often from these post-fight in-cage interviews and, frankly, the way a lot of people in MMA act all the time. Give me Khalil Roundtree Jr. a thousand times every yeah. day. I have I have no complaints about anything that I saw from him this weekend. Yeah. All right. Next question this week comes to us from Mr. Biscuit. Okay. Who writes, someone has to tell Terrence McKinney it's okay to take a chill pill. Man was fighting like he left the oven on and paid the price against a veteran like Drew Dober, who has the jawline of a chipmunk with a toothache. <laughs> I, I mean, wow. I, I love Biscuit holding nothing back. I like that that description of, of Drew Dober, but I, I don't totally know that I understand it. He goes on to write, despite this blip, do you think he, uh, meaning T-Rex, is a legit newcomer in the shark tank that is 155? Uh, you know, I don't necessarily know that I need Terrence McKinney to, to chill. Like, <laughs> I was thinking as we as I watched this fight, you know, right up to the point where Drew Dober turned things around and, and beat him. Uh, Terrence McKinney is a guy who's rapidly becoming like Khalil Roundtree must see TV in this division. And that's hard to do at 155 pounds where you have so many, uh, guys. He, he, let me count them up here. He had one, two, three, four, five consecutive first round stoppage victories heading into this fight against Drew Dober. Some of those were in LFA and elsewhere before he made it to the UFC. But, uh, his first two UFC wins were both, uh, first round stoppages, a, a, a seven second knockout and a two minute and 11 second submission. So a guy who goes out there and wastes little time. And he certainly started that way against Drew Dober on somewhat short notice here on Saturday night. And maybe it would be good for him for his professional prospects if he takes a bit of a chill pill. 
But just as a, a viewer at home, I was like, man, I need to mark my calendar when Terrence McKinney's going to fight because even in what is considered the most competitive Shark Tank division in the entire sport, if you're going to do that, I'm going to watch. Yeah. And in fairness, he kind of almost had Drew Dober. He did, yeah. He had him badly hurt in that first round. And really, it's a testament to Dober's veteran savvy and not to mention just insane toughness that he was able to take those shots and stay as calm as he did. That's the the really impressive part to me is you did not see him freak out even when he was in a bad situation right away. I I mean, it's easy afterwards to come along and be like, hey, Terrence McKinney, this thing that you were doing that was working out extremely well and that almost continued to work out extremely well, uh, you just did a little bit too much of it and you should stop it now because we don't think it, it worked. But it's like, I mean, he he gave himself a chance to win that fight Drew Dober's a tough guy, found a way back in it. That can just happen to you. I don't know if it's necessarily, like, I mean, obviously he's still a young fighter and does not have a ton of experience. So I'm sure he'll learn from some of that. But it also just seems like if you're going to fight that way and it's an exciting way to fight, we like it when it works out. That's also a possibility that that it can it can turn around on you if you're not careful. But I also think that that could be the kind of experience that he learns from. And and the, the trick is not losing all the, the fun stuff, the stuff that made you good and dangerous and exciting, uh, but also making some adjustments as you go to allow for new things you are learning about how this shit works. We're going to squeeze in a couple more here. This one from Brandon Boyd, who writes, It's 2.30 a.m., and he's tweeting a spinning kick, head kick KO from Brawl Night 18. It's 5.30 a.m., and we get a reminder that Knucklefest 33 is starting. It seems every time you refresh your Twitter feed, there's a GIF or fight reminder from Grabaka Hitman. What are yeah. your thoughts on this mystery man and how much he has helped us from just being filthy casuals? Uh, you got to respect the big homie, the Grabaka Hitman, who does appear to be... Uh, online 24 hours a day undertaking the gargantuan almost inhuman task of tracking international MMA wherever and whenever it happens to be going down and almost to the point where maybe there's a conspiracy at foot maybe the Grabaka hitman is is a is a is a team a family of people out there because this is this is like I don't know when this guy sleeps to be perfectly honest I I don't know it is hard to see how one person could do it all. And yet, the the tone of Grabaka Hitman tweets is always so consistent. Yeah. Don't you yeah. think that that mask would slip if it were more than one person? It's true. It's two brothers, twins. Okay. Who are, uh, you know, psychically linked. Honestly, I have a hard time even believing that two people could do it. Let's two. say triplets. Yeah, triplets, three bodies that share one consciousness. And one laptop. You know, and one, they, one they time, sleep in shifts while another one keeps an eye on global MMA and brings all the best and weirdest and funniest moments to us so that we don't have to be constantly paying attention to everything going on in the, the nonstop world of this sport. One time I tried to interview the Grubaka hitman uh, back when we worked for The Athletic, and he demurred. He was like, I enjoy the anonymity. You know, he was super nice about it, uh, but he was like, yeah, I, I don't, you know, I'm not interested really in having my, my real name and stuff out there. So he's, it's, man, a mystery is right. Some, it's a mysterious you, circumstance over there. Did it, when you were trying to interview him, did he ever slip up and be like, no, we don't really know if that's best for us, uh, me. Yeah. For me, I mean. It sounds interesting. Let me ask my two brothers who I'm psychically linked with. <laughs> oh, whoops. I don't know. See, it seemed like the psychic link would mean that you wouldn't have to ask them. You just, they would just know. I assume everybody who's listening to this already follows the Grabaka Hitman. But if you are not somehow, and you are interested in seeing uh, all the knockouts from all around the world at all times, you got to give the man a follow. Yeah. All right. You weren't going to let me get out of here without this one, were you? <laughs> Listen, people are going to put gold in our inbox. We need to share it with the listeners. The last piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Creamy Steve. Mm -hmm. Subject line, 
creamiest fights. <laughs> and he writes, what do you fellas think is the creamiest fight coming up? <laughs> With a surefire, creamy ending full of hot, steamy cream. <laughs> what the fuck? What the, it's just like, it's already, he starts off being creamy Steve. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Asking about the creamiest fights. And then it's, you know, and I'm like, okay, maybe there's a way that we could think that we're, that this is a term the youth are using or something. But then when he finishes with hot, steamy cream, whatever. Nope. Nope. I can't hold it together anymore at that point, man. You know what I admire the most about Creamy Steve is his commitment to the form. (laughs) Yeah. I just like to imagine him out there like at a dinner party being introduced as Creamy Steve. uh, And then, you know, just having conversations with people and him being like, so you got any uh, creamy plans for this weekend? What's the, the creamiest hiking spot you've been to around here? <laughs> uh, the creamiest fight coming up is definitely uh, Alir Latifi versus Alexio Linick. That's the creamiest fight. How did you fight. arrive at that? I just picked how it at you... random. Picked it at random off an upcoming UFC fight card. What What would you say makes it so creamy, Chad? Well, I mean, when you if you're going to ask me what do you fellas think is the creamiest fight coming up with a surefire uh, creamy ending full of hot steamy cream, that's just the first one that comes to mind. Okay. Okay. I'm going to say Kamzat Shmaev and Gilbert Burns. That is incredibly creamy. You're right about creamy that. Creamy AF. Good call. Good call, Creamy Ben. Uh, that's going to do it for this week's listener mail. If you have a question, a comment, or concern that you would like to air to the podcast, you know how to do it. Go to the website, cobainevent.com. Click the link at the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. Right now, though, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Well, Ben, it looked like a banger on paper. Magomed Ankalaev and Tiago Santos out there in an important light heavyweight contender fight in the main event of this UFC fight night event Saturday night from the Apex down there in in Las Vegas. Instead, what we get is a rather tepid five-round decision win for Ankalaev. Important for him, I think, in a number of ways, uh, but but not the fight that we expected. No. And frankly, it felt like there was always a little more he could have done here. And I I mean, I, I realize that's unfair and we've done it to many people over the years in MMA where we see somebody who looks like they are in total control of the fight. They look like they can sort of cruise to a victory. There's a bunch of incentives in this sport that tell you that don't fuck around and lose a fight that you have in hand. You get twice as much money for winning. Uh, Nobody's going to give you the tough guy points if you go out there and you screw it up and you get yourself knocked out. And he did get rocked by Tiago Santos at one point here and came close to having the whole thing turned around on him. But it also seemed like if if, if he would just turn it up a little bit, maybe he could have gotten this one out over with and instead was content to just sort of pick away and you know a, a smart game plan if, if you can do it especially once Tiago Santos reminds you that the, he can hit pretty hard um, but not exactly a, a super memorable fight yeah and you know sometimes we get these when you have two uh, normally aggressive really powerful finishers in a big spot where no one wants to lose I think this this can kind of happen obviously we had expectations for this one to be a little bit more violent and a little bit more exciting than it turned out to be. But sometimes these guys cancel each other out, man, with their skills. You know, you, you, uh, I can see being up against either one of these guys and thinking you don't want to open up too much because as uh, Uncle I have found out, if Santos tags you with a good one, he can hurt you. And I think that the other thing is true as well. Uh, clearly, we would have liked to see Magomed Uncle I have go out there and, and do something a little bit more impressive. Uh, by the same token, though, this is eighth win in a row. 
And, you know, he's really setting himself up as a contender in this, as I mentioned, newly wide open light heavyweight division. Uh, I also think that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's good to see the guy go out there and like put together a consistent 25 minute performance. This is his first five round fight in the UFC first five round fight to go the distance. He didn't really slow down, really didn't seem to get tired. He seemed to be there in the fifth round in much the same condition that he was in the, in the first, which I think is good to see from a guy who's now verging on contender status, a guy who's going to be in more five round fights as he moves forward. Uh, but uh, overall, I guess in the grand scheme of things, especially if you wanted to turn some heads and feel like you were in line uh, for the winner of this Prohaska uh, Glover Tashira title fight, it would have been nice to see a little bit more. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that is the thing. You mentioned light heavyweight feeling like it's wide open right now. And there is a sense that the the pecking order is a little bit more fluid than it has been in recent years. And so there's this is the time to put your hand up, make a case for yourself, this does not seem like it really is the fight that does that for him. Uh, I mean, obviously, it is a a truth divinely writ in the on the official ledger of the the co-main event podcast. Always better to win a fight than to lose, and so that's the important thing that he got done here. But with the pace of events the way it is right now, in two three weeks, who's going to be thinking about Magomed Ankalev after this one? Yeah, it's it, that's a good question. Here are the guys who are in front of him. He was ranked number six. He just beat number five in Tiago Santos. In front of the, in front of the, those two are Anthony Smith, Alexander Rakic, uh, Yuri Prohaska, and Jan Blahovich, and of course the champion uh, Glover Teixeira. You know, I could see him fighting any one of those guys really. So I don't think he has to worry about losing his spot too much. I don't know that he's going to be in the forefront of any of our imaginations after a fairly uninspired performance like this uh but at the same time uh in this division where it seems like everybody now has an opportunity to to perhaps be the champion and there's not a ton of of depth here it's not like this is the lightweight division where a bunch of guys are going to leapfrog you i think you can probably get away with with a performance like this uh but uh as he continues to climb the ladder if he does get an anthony smith or somebody like that in in his next fight uh, he'll probably be looking to to do a little bit more damage, I would think. But all in all, a solid victory for the 29-year-old. And another one of these guys who makes you wonder, if we fast forward a year or two, are we just going to have a handful of Russian champions at the top in the UFC in a number of different weight classes? Yeah, I mean, you know, you got a Magomed showing up in here being pretty good at fighting. We've seen that before. We it's- know what to make of that. It's not totally astonishing anymore, is it? No, it is not. On the other side of the coin, uh, coin uh, Tiago Santos, now 38 years old. He's uh, expecting a child uh, with Yana Kunitskaya, his wife. Uh, he is now one and four in his last fights, the last five fights. The winner is, the, the victory is Johnny Walker in October of 2021. Uh, you know, you might have some cause for concern here, I guess, if you're, if you're a Tiago Santos supporter or you're Tiago Santos himself, he's still got the goods, man. He still goes yep. out there and looks very dangerous, explosive, very powerful uh, in his approach, but at the same time, just not getting the results right now. Well, it seems like maybe he's just become a little bit too uh, predictable by opponents who can do a few different things and they know what to expect from him and they can kind of put him on the back foot and know that as long as you, you keep moving and you don't stand there and catch one upside the head, which, you know, in fairness, Mohamed Ankleb did, however briefly here, that uh, you can deal with this guy. And it seems like he his own style seems less aggressive now than it used to be. And so you're then you're dependent on people sort of walking in right where you want them. Uh, and especially as you get higher up in the division, people are, just aren't going to do that. I also wonder... As you see where Tiago Santos is now in his career, you see him in this fight where he's able to land one and and, and drop Magomed Ankalev but wasn't able to finish it off. Are you ready yet to invoke the Toby Keith rule on Tiago Santos? Is he not as good as he once was, uh, but as good once as he ever was? 
I mean, like I said, it physically still, still seems like he's got it. Like it does, you don't look at him and think it's, oh, this guy's shot. But at the same time, maybe people are starting to figure him out a little bit because the, the results, as I said, just haven't really been there. I don't know. Far be yeah. it from me to either agree or disagree with the great troubadour, troubadour uh, Toby Keith. <laughs> yeah, it's just like a truth just lifted out of our own hearts, you know? Let's go ahead and do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? Which seems appropriate considering that talk of Toby Keith. Yeah. And then uh, we'll move on to round number two. Ben, did you see Sean Strickland? Oh, man. This is my Are You Fucking Kidding Me as oh, well. Oh, we got a joint. We have ourselves a joint. Are You Fucking Kidding Me? Are You Fucking Kidding Me? Uh, I guess not surprising that you would have this reaction from Sean Strickland about yeah. Khalil Roundtree Jr. and his vulnerability in the cage and at the press conference on Saturday night. I'm not going to read the tweet because the tweet is foul. But let's just say Sean Strickland is not behind the idea of Khalil Roundtree showing these emotions. My favorite part is that later Strickland yeah. jumps on and makes a couple of videos to further explain down. himself. And what he says is, wait, wait, you guys don't understand. Like we have trained together in the past. You think you would like Khalil Roundtree Jr. But if you got to know him, you wouldn't because, and this in, in his exact words, uh, he is a PC beta. Can't remember the word, the description that he used. Uh, but basically that Khalil Roundtree is a, 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 a PC beta male, I guess. To which I say, I guess if that is the worst thing Sean Strickland can say about you, like, I don't know, it's kind of, you're just kind of making Khalil Roundtree Jr. sound cooler to me as you, as you go on. Like his, his indictment of Khalil Roundtree Jr. seems to be, he's, he's too nice. He's a good yeah. dude. He also, uh, in these, in this original tweet that he posted about it before he felt the need to double down with video explanations, he says at the end of it, seriously, being in the same room as him makes me cringe. Now, I don't know if a lot of people feel like being in the same room with Sean Strickland is a really great, positive, uplifting experience. You know, I, I think that there's, when, whenever we form or add to our existing opinions about Sean Strickland with takes like this one, for example, I don't come away thinking, now that sounds like a guy I'd love to just hang out with. Yeah. Plus just we, we've seen with. his house. Yeah. Just, just seems like a guy who'd be a lot of fun and just very, a very calm hang with Sean Strickland. Just chilling at Sean Strickland's place, lifting up the chain to flush the toilet, whatnot. Asking if I can borrow the the mail gun to go check the mail. I don't get the sense that Sean Strickland is a lot, person that a lot of us would necessarily want to be in a room with. So when he's like, oh, I can't stand to be in the same room as this guy. It's like, so then maybe he's okay? Now, is that what you're trying to tell me? Here is what I would make as an addendum to all of this. So Sean Strickland, outside the cage, acts like a crazy psychopath. Mm-hmm. Kind but of his then, thing. Then when he gets in the cage, doesn't do a whole lot. I see where you're going. Khalil Roundtree Jr., we are led mm-hmm. to believe, acts like a decent human being outside the cage. And when he gets in the cage... Total, unbelievable, eye-popping violence. Yeah. You fucking kidding me? Which one of these guys you want to be? Are you fucking kidding me? That's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. Chad, I will admit to a little bit of concern. When I saw Diego Sanchez out here before the Eagle FC fight, talking about how he had been up on the mountain. He had come from the, the mountains of Albuquerque. Kevin Lee was down here on the beach. And I went, you know what? I was reminded how we had talked before about if Diego Sanchez is one of these fighters who stays too long in the game, takes too much damage, his behavior starts to become strange and erratic and troublesome, how will we know? Because Diego Sanchez has always been a, a guy who marches to the beat of his own drum.
Yeah. And I was thinking, oh, maybe this is going to be even worse than I thought. But then he comes out here and I'm going to say acquits himself quite well. Is it just that our expectations are so low? Is it just that maybe our expectations for Kevin Lee were higher than what he is capable of doing right now? Uh, or is Diego Sanchez going to do this till he's 60? Uh, well, I don't know that any of those questions are mutually exclusive because okay. obviously Diego Sanchez is going to do this till he's 60. Uh, I mean, it's been almost a year since he ditched to Josh Fabia and he's got a new team. He just had the COVIDs and it seemed like it was really, really bad. And I think that was... Uh, uh, genuine cause for concern among other genuine causes for concern about Diego Sanchez entering into more fighting in this fight. But to be, you know, honest, he looked pretty good out there, man. Like he, he hand speed wise, he's not going to blow anybody away. He's looking slower than, than ever before. And I guess that's to be expected as he continues to age, but Diego Sanchez is out here throwing body kicks and calf kicks. I know he's got a new team that he's working with. And it seemed like they were able to to bring some new wrinkles out of him to make him look uh, a little bit different and arguably better than we've seen him in the last couple of years. And maybe that speaks to the lack of direction and coaching that he had been getting most recently from like the people who were around him at the time. I feel like he's got, he's surrounded himself with good solid MMA people now, and he's out here putting on slightly better performances. That doesn't necessarily mean that, he's going to jump up and be the Eagle weight champion of the Eagle FC at 165 pounds. But we didn't get as depressed as we thought we were going to be from, from, from watching this thing. And I think that that is a good sign for Diego Sanchez. Obviously like it seemed like Kevin Lee got injured. Yeah. Uh, pretty quickly in this fight or maybe came into the fight with an injury. I don't know exactly where he sustained it. So I think you got to put a grain of salt on all of that a little bit. Uh, but yeah, like this, this wasn't as bad as we thought it was going to be for Diego Sanchez. And in the sport of mixed martial arts, sometimes you just got to take that as a positive. <laughs> Meanwhile, over there, Bellator 276, uh, the Borich business is looking pretty strong. Chad, these guys had themselves a hell of a fight. Yeah, this was a good one. If you didn't see Adam Borich against Mads Burnell, uh, the main event, it was a Bellator 276, I want to say yep. something like that. Yeah. Uh, Go check it out if you can find it because, uh, you know, unfortunately, because the UFC takes up so much space in the industry and you also had Eagle FC uh, and uh, sometimes it feels like Bellator is, is somewhat tucked away over there on Showtime. You know, I feel like a lot of people aren't watching this, but if you didn't see it, treat yourself to it, man. It's a good MMA fight and it will remind you that just because these guys are over here in Bellator and not in the UFC doesn't mean that they are lesser in quality. You know, this was this was a fight that could fit right in on any UFC card. And at this point, right. for, for Adam Boric, a guy who, frankly, the first time we heard of him, we made fun of it because he was going to fight Aaron Pico. And we made the joke, when Bellator calls you to have you fight Aaron Pico, they're not doing it because they want to get in the Adam Boric business. Well, guess what? They're kind of in the Adam Boric business at this point because he keeps beating people. And this was, this was a fight between two guys who both respectively were tied at the number two ranking in this weight class. Boric wins. Uh, he's a little bit injured. He said coming out of this, a foot injury, I believe, but like he should be right there for a title shot. And a guy that if not for a Bellator contract, as I said, you could pluck out of that Bellator cage and drop Adam Boric into the UFC and he could fight most guys. Right. And you know, that's what I was thinking about is that you have here uh, in, in the Bellator main event, right? Where it's like a, a featherweight fight, that you're dealing with where you go, hey, that you you put it anywhere on this UFC fight night card, and it is one of the, the best fights of the night. They they look like exactly like they fit in. You also you look at the Eagle FC card, even where it's like, you know, some of the higher weights, maybe we don't have a ton of talent going on there, but then you know, they had a, a good bantamweight fight with Ray Borg and Ricky Bandeas, and you go, man, especially at those lighter weight classes. The the distinction between UFC level and outside the UFC is kind of non-existent. Yeah, that you you have so much good talent in that division that uh, lots of people can can invest in that division and come up with some good fights and and find good good talent that's still out there available. I guess the question is, is that enough? Can you still get fans' attention with that? Or is it just so cemented in people's minds, UFC is up here, everything else is down here? 
I mean, it is cemented in everyone's minds and you're probably not going to bridge that gap anytime soon. You're not going to close that gulf. And even by Bellator standards, an event headlined by Adam Boric and Mads Burnell is somewhat low profile. Like if you keep track of Bellator, they are putting together some higher profile stuff. Uh, But just in terms of quality of fights, man, like uh, we haven't seen much better uh, than than this one, either from Bellator or like, you know, with a couple of exceptions, maybe this year in the UFC, this was just a terrific fight. These guys are out there going blow for blow most of the way. Uh, a, a, a terrific pace, a lot of uh, uh, diversity of strikes. And they basically only stopped when Mads Brunel was doing his dance moves, when he was out there, uh, you know, blowing kisses and doing the worm just about. I don't know what, I don't know exactly what you call the dance he was doing, but he did it right in the middle of the fight. And everyone, even Adam Boric had to stop and be like, what the <laughs> fuck are you doing, man? Uh, so just inter- entertaining all around, I thought, in the main event here from Bellator. I had a moment this weekend where um, my youngest daughter asked me, can you do the worm? And I was like, no, I feel I just I'm not even going to give it a shot. I'm just going to tell you right now, I can't do it. And she was like, I can do the worm. And so naturally, I was like, let's see it. Uh, she got down on the floor and did something, but it wasn't the worm. <laughs> and she ended up with a carpet burn on her face. So ah, well, everybody least- thinks that doing your doing your crazy dances is going to be a lot simpler and easier and cooler. But uh, it, it takes something to pull it off. Yeah. Uh, I mean, at least she should be doing it at this age when her joints are all still made out of rubber bands and stuff. Did you stop her and you were like, let me tell you about somebody by the name of Johnny Walker? You know what? The thing was that when she got up from it, she looked at me and the look on her face was like, see, did you see how just I just crushed that? Just well, now? Yeah, because in her mind, she was just she looked like she just won a breakdancing competition. That's how she was imagining it. Fucking nailed it. I was well, like, okay. What was your reaction? Were you like, oh, that was great? I think I gave a, what I would describe as a curt nod. <laughs> okay. Yeah. My, my, my best dad nod. And then I withheld further comment. That's a, just a window into your parenting right there. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, anything else you want to talk about, about either of these fights and the, or we just move on to, uh, to new business. Well, I guess I'll wait until we review our bets for the next segment of $20. We never want to see again on Friday's power hour for you to gloat about Colin Miranda Maverick via submission. I did. I did do that. That was a big bet for me. Uh, you know, $2 bet got me $10, $10.80. So if you join the Patreon, once again, like I've been saying, not only do you get access to all this fun stuff, but riches, we open, we open the gates to the riches because, uh, if you don't know this already, you and I are a couple of betting sharps. What I'm hearing is that the only mistake you made was in betting $2 instead of 200 That's right. Yeah. And maybe thinking uh, Magomed Ankalaev was going to get busy out there. Another mistake that I made, but who knows? All right. Uh, that's going to do it for round number two. We'll be right back with round number three. Well, Ben, the UFC is going back to London, England, England, across the Atlantic Sea for the first time since March of 2019. Last time we were over there, UFC fight night, Till versus Masvidal. This weekend, Alexander Volkov against Tom Aspinall is your heavyweight main event. You also got Patty Pimblett on the card. You got Dan Hooker taking on Arnold Allen. You got Paul Craig against Nikita Krilov. Gunnar Nelson back in the fold. Going to be kicking things off here on the main card. Uh, I guess, you know, a number of different ways we could go with this one. The UFC has not been on its international schedule for some time now, owing to the pandemic. Uh, obviously, there's some some stuff happening in Europe that uh, that makes it perhaps an inopportune time to... to get back to this stuff but here we are gonna do it do the damn thing in london what are you what are you thinking about what are you looking forward to what are you worried about for this car i mean perhaps an opportune time to get going back in london with the main event featuring a russian fighter that's the tricky part right now just because 
you know, as the the world seeks to find ways to communicate that Russia's invasion of Ukraine is unacceptable, a lot of it has hit the sports world for Russian athletes already. And so I saw these comments uh, just this week from uh, Tom Aspinall, who was saying that uh, even he feels like, I don't know 100% if this fight is going to happen as scheduled. He said that he's confident that Alexander Volkov has made it to London, and he even said, I think this was from Submission Radio, where he was saying, please stop sending me screenshots of, or like pictures of Alexander Volkov walking around London. I know he's here. That part's, I, I've got it now, but that everybody has been trying to reassure him the same way, being like, hey, look, he made it into the country, so that part's taken care of. The UFC at least seemed to act like, you know, hey, we don't know what the hell is going to happen, so we're just going to plow ahead as if everything is on schedule. Um, I mean, it's pretty, we're, we're in fight week now. So if it doesn't happen as, as scheduled, then it'll be a mad scramble. But for the UFC, this is, I believe the first time we're back to doing a fight night level event, like not a pay-per-view and doing it somewhere other than either like, uh, one of the UFC residencies, whether it was at the the apex or when we were doing like fight Island stuff in Abu Dhabi, this is the first one that seems like we're getting back to the way things used to be yeah. where, you know, cause for a while now they've been doing pay-per-views in front of crowds in arenas and, and moving around different places, you know, especially back and forth to Houston, a whole bunch at the Toyota center, but also doing, you know, going back to California, back to, to Florida, stuff like that. But this is the first time we're getting back out on the road for this level of event and going out and and back on the international schedule a little bit. Uh, and it feels like, you know, you, know, you got to feel bad for the UFC a little bit because they go, all right, we're, the pandemic stuff is winding down. We can kind of get back to our usual schedule. And then wouldn't you know it, you get back to your usual schedule and international conflicts form a storm cloud over the main event and you go well shit you just can't catch a break can it ever just be normal yeah just for a little while yeah uh well we know the ufc certainly has a commitment to keeping its business going regardless of uh other circumstances so you got to believe that they will find a way if at all possible to make this fight come off uh and i agree with you like it put some of it it feels a little bit uh i don't know reassuring or like a return to normal but like it's it's as much as i had qualms and disagreed with the way the ufc handled its business in many instances during the pandemic it does feel good to see them kind of uh get back to normalcy here and go go on the road again and be in london and and have a card with uh with a lot of international products and and some uh some people that will appeal to the local fair there uh so so that's all good and it seems like in outside of that just another uh, just another fight night card with a with a smattering of people that you recognize and if you got time to watch it live maybe you maybe you should and if you got to catch up on it later that also seems acceptable so in that way also feels normal feels like we're getting back to something normal here well i'll say you know international tensions aside a fight between Tom Aspinall and Alexander Volkov is the kind that gets me excited, gets me interested enough to make sure that I'm in my seat at least come main event time. I am also interested in uh, Arnold Allen and Dan Hooker and, of course, the return of Paddy the Batty, which everybody got very excited about, which he seemed to be one of the uh, most interesting and memorable and most hittable fighters that we've seen come along in quite some time, so I'm interested to see what this, this outing looks like. Honestly, like those... Those top three, at least, uh, and also you got Paul Craig on the fight card going up against uh, Al Capone himself, Nikita Krilov. So you you know I'm not gonna miss a Paul Craig fight, but those top three, especially, that's the part for me where I'm gonna be keeping an eye on this fight card and be like, all right, this is when I need to stop what I'm doing, turn on the shit, and watch all the way through. Yeah, 28 year old Tom Aspinall, just a baby in the heavyweight division, undefeated in the UFC. He's won four in a row there and seven in a row overall. Last win was against Sergey Spivak in September of last year. That was a TKO. These are all stoppages, by the way. Jake Collier, Alan Boudreau, uh, Andre Arlovsky, all stoppages. The only person to take him to the second round was the wily veteran Arlovsky. So this uh, shapes up as a uh, you know a, an opportunity for him to get arguably the biggest win of his career, or at least add to this win streak against Volkov on home soil over there 
in England. So a big, big opportunity for Aspinall. You're right about Patty Pimblett. Again, in the lightweight division where it's hard to make a name for yourself, he seems like a guy who came in the door uh, with some hype and and has largely lived up to it in the very, very short term so far. So to see him go out there and fight Rodrigo Vargas in the co-main seems interesting. And also Dan Hooker getting back on the horse is a, is a thing that I'm interested in. What about uh, Gunnar Nelson coming in off back-to-back losses? Have not seen this guy in the UFC since 2019, he's making his return against Takashi Sato, and uh, that's one I'll watch also. To be uh, to be honest, yeah, man, I, it's I, I did not realize it had been quite so long. But then I also, when I asked myself, when's the last time you thought about Gunnar Nelson? Not that recently. Yeah, I gotta admit. Yeah. So there you go. Um, all right, let's go ahead. We'll do just saying stuff, Ben, and then we will get out of here for this week. What is your just saying stuff? Which I don't know if you see that Sports Business Journal has a story out uh, with the headline today, UFC Battles Narrative on Fighter Pay. And the battling of the narrative there that we're talking about, it seems, are uh, a, a talk with uh, the UFC's Lawrence Epstein, uh, UFC COO Lawrence Epstein. I want to point out this part here, though. Um, hey, this is this story by Adam Stern. And at one point it says, quote, Critics claim that UFC only shares 16% of its revenue with fighters when determining their split for an event. UFC COO Lawrence Epstein disputed that figure when interviewed this month, but declined to provide specifics. So I guess just for starters, I'm just saying, if you're not going to tell us what the actual number is, you don't really get to be taken seriously when disputing the number that, by the way, did not come from critics claiming but came from a bunch of court discovery uh, processes. It came from your own some of y- your own communication with potential investors. It came from the antitrust case. Uh, it came from basically the UFC itself and uh, its ownership. And if you're going to tell us all oh, those numbers that basically came from us are not ac- not accurate, then you need to tell us what the accurate numbers are. If you want us to actually listen to, I'm just saying. Also. Uh, Epstein says that some of this stuff, meaning the criticism, is completely disingenuous. He believes three primary factors had led to the current situation, meaning people being pissed off about the UFC keeping all the money. Paul, Jake Paul's focus on the issue, fighters going public with contract negotiations to gain public backing they can leverage in the talks, and broader societal shifts in America where workers are demanding higher salaries. Um, I guess I'm also just saying... You know what you might not want to do is list in this three-pronged explanation of why people suddenly care about uh, your fighter pay issue. If you give Jake Paul credit for it, man, he is going to take that and run with it. Yeah. If you're worried that he's just doing it for attention and you're giving him this kind of attention by saying he is like the primary thing focusing on this issue to get people to where Lawrence Epstein has to go talk to Sports Business Journal to try to get him to... to, calm everybody down about it you're not gonna make him stop bringing it up by doing that i'm just saying yeah just saying a lot of uh a lot of time for the ufc to make its case about stuff over in the sports business journal lately i've noticed what are you suggesting a lot of uh real let's say even-handed or uh you know complimentary ufc Hmm. coverage over there in the sports business journal very very strange uh, you remember uh, Javid Basharat, Ben, the uh, Afghanistan native who fought in the UFC, fought in the Contender Series back in, uh, was it October of 2021? He fought uh, Israeli fighter Oran Colin, and that was when I believe Colin called him a terrorist. And then uh, Basharat won the fight, and that was when Dana White came out and said, well, fight, you know, fighting is great because the guy who said this racist stuff got beat in the fight. So, uh, yeah. So we don't have to do anything about it because uh, it's the ultimate proving ground or whatever. Uh, well, now this news has come out that Javid Basharat will not be allowed by someone, whether it be a state athletic commission or the UFC, he is not sure, uh, to carry the flag of Afghanistan down to the cage. He says it makes him very sad and he is not sure why this is the case, but he is not allowed to 
to bring it down there. Also, this is the uh, MMA fighting story by Damon Martin, by the way. This also contains the detail that Brian Kelleher, in his recent fight, wanted to carry the Ukrainian flag out to his fight at UFC 272, was not allowed to do that, then said he wanted to carry a peace flag out to the cage, was not allowed to do that either. Uh, so I guess this week I'm just saying I don't I don't understand this. I don't understand what's going on here. We just uh, we just saw Tiago Santos in the cage with the Brazilian flag over the weekend. We've seen guys bring the Russian flag out uh, in recent times. And carrying the flag out is like the only thing you can do at this yeah. point in the UFC. Can't have your sponsor banner. Can't have any uh, third party sponsors on your shorts. But you can still carry the uh, carry the flag out there, as we see a lot of people do. But uh, Javid Basharat not allowed to bring the flag of uh, of Afghanistan out to the cage. And I have no idea why. I guess I'm just saying I don't I don't get this, man. I don't understand what's going on here. Feels like we could use a little clarification on the flag policy. It de- yeah, it definitely does. It definitely does. Maybe someone will ask some questions because I would like to uh, get some clarity here. I have no idea what's going on with this. It seems uh, seems <laughs> so it seems to be a bad look a little bit here. Yeah, I'm just saying. What about if somebody wanted to come out with that uh, don't tread on me flag? I think they can do that. What if somebody want to have a juggalo flag? I don't How know. About one of those one of those flags uh, where Donald Trump's face is superimposed on Rambo. <laughs> I mean, at this point, that? the Gadsden, the don't tread on me flag, it kind of is the juggalo flag of a certain uh, <laughs> a certain worldview, right? Well. Now you've given us all a lot to think about. Just saying. All right, that's going to do it for this week's Co-Main Event Podcast. Thanks to everybody for tuning in to listen. As we have said numerous times, we'll be over at the Patreon page all week this week. Wednesday's live chat, Thursday doing the damn thing, Friday power hour. Check us out over there, patreon.com slash co-main event. Or we'll be back in one week for another episode of The Proper, telling you about all the stuff that happens at this fight night event in London. Knock on wood, hope it comes off. As for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out. Do you have any uh, big plans? What, what are your previous plans for the rest of the day? Oh, uh, my plans are to definitely... Let me try to get this right here. Uh, do something with the surefire fire in.